Welcome to the Awareness Offerings Podcast, a weekly offering of yoga philosophy discussion and guided meditation for the moments we're living in. I'm your host, Laura Tara Davy Joplin. I'm a yoga and meditation teacher, spiritual social media strategist, and integrative counselor, working to integrate the principles of the spiritual path into every aspect of my work and my life. This podcast is an extension of that work as I navigate the world as a white woman devotee of yoga, living at many intersections of privilege, living in the West, and trying to live with awareness. Thank you for joining me in this work. You're listening to episode three. Devotion is not worship. It is week three of the Awareness Offerings podcast, and again, I just have to start by saying thank you so much. Thank you for being here and listening, and for all the ways that you have shown support for this show. If you want to keep supporting, as always, the best way to do that is to rate and review the podcast on whatever platform you are listening, because that increases the podcast's visibility on these audio streaming services. So thank you for that. And of course, if these teachings and offerings feel nourishing and heart opening to you and you feel called to share, please share. And I appreciate everything you do to make this shared space between us possible. And I'm glad you're here. So now I'm going to invite us into our traditional opening ritual for this podcast, singing the sound of Om one time. Om is the sound of consciousness. It is said to be the sound of the universe itself, the awareness that animates everything in existence. And since this is an awareness offering, the podcast itself, we're going to start every single one by calling on awareness, calling it into the space, which is what we do when we sing Om. So I'll invite you to do that with me. As always, you can do it out loud by singing or just by listening. Feel free to come into a seat or a position where your spine is long and comfortable. You can close your eyes or gaze softly at the floor or don't close your eyes at all, especially if you're doing some kind of task like driving. Just find your space. Whatever you do, you just turn your gaze toward yourself a little bit. Just noticing how you feel today, noticing your body, maybe noticing your breath. And then we'll take a full breath in together, inhaling through the nose if you can. Big exhale, just clearing the path for consciousness to come through. And then we'll inhale for one om. you for joining me in that practice and now for some discussion today i'm talking about devotion and i'm doing so in honor of ma jaya sati bhagavati that is ma jaya sati bhagavati who is the guru or the master teacher of the yoga lineage in which i study and teach Her birthday was yesterday, May 26th, so out of devotion to her, I'm talking about devotion in her honor. Because really, devotion is the foundation of the relationship between a guru and a student. So what does all of that mean? First of all, yoga is a lineage-based practice, which means it has been passed down from teacher to student and teacher to student over and over again for thousands of years. So most people who study and practice yoga 
have a teacher. And in my lineage of yoga, I study at an urban ashram in Atlanta, Kashi Atlanta. We have a master teacher. We have a primary teacher from which all the teachings flow. She's like the source of the teaching. And that person is Ma Jaya. And so she is the guru of this lineage. She is the master teacher. I'll use guru and master teacher interchangeably because they essentially mean the same thing. Although I couldn't talk about the guru relationship without talking about what guru actually means and the ways that the meaning of that word has sort of been distorted, especially in our Western idea of yoga and in just in Western culture. Because the word guru has both been stripped of its meaning to one end of the spectrum where it's been made a little too casual and it's also been given so much meaning on the other end of the spectrum that we it feels a little more intense than it really is. And so I want to explain what those two misconceptions are and then help us find the middle of what guru really is. So on the one end, guru has been made into a term that is much more casual than it actually is. You might hear someone described as a fitness guru or a love guru or you know, a technology guru, and people usually say that when they mean that person is an expert. And while gurus usually are experts in spiritual teachings, that's a little too casual. Guru is an honorary title for someone who has been given a lineage, who has been given, kind of anointed with a really uh, powerful depth of spiritual energy. And so to make it into such a word um, or such a casual word that just means expert is a little too familiar. It's a little too informal, right? So when we go around saying someone is a guru, when we just mean they're good at something, it sort of strips the depth of um, power from this really deep concept. And so that is one way that we misunderstand guru. We make it a little too casual. But on the other end of the spectrum, especially those of us in the West and anyone who has grown up in a Judeo-Christian tradition, when we hear the word guru, we can get really uncomfortable for more intense reasons because we might assume that guru means something more than it actually does. Because a lot of the time when we think guru, we think someone who has to be up on a pedestal. Someone who is this authoritative presence who demands that all of their followers blindly worship them. And that is actually also not what a guru means. That's why the title of this episode, talking about the guru relationship, is devotion is not worship. Because any guru who is worth their salt, because of course there are people out there who call themselves gurus who demand blind worship and... People who know their stuff would probably tell you that's not actually a guru. But any guru who is rooted in an authentic lineage is not going to demand blind worship. In fact, Ma Jaya, the guru of my yoga lineage, would often say, if there's somebody sitting at the front of the room that tells you my way is the only way, turn around and walk the other way. So any guru who is rooted in an authentic spiritual tradition is not going to demand to always be right, to be placed on this exalted pedestal, and to be worshipped. The relationship between guru and student is not one of worship. It is one of devotion. 
And to explain a little more about what that means, I'll talk to you about what the actual Sanskrit word guru means. The translation of that word, at least as I know it, I want to acknowledge my position as a white woman who studies yoga from a Western lens, so I am open to being wrong. But as I have been taught, the translation of the word guru is dispeller of darkness. Because any of us who are on a path, especially a path of yoga, spirituality, any kind of path where we're studying deep teachings, there's always going to be someone a few steps ahead of us on that path. And a guru is someone who turns around on the path and holds up the light so that we can see where we're going. So the guru is dispeller of darkness. The guru is the one that holds the light. So not only do they light the path, but they also light us up. They illuminate within us our own qualities of awareness, love, strength, all of these qualities that we're working to cultivate when we walk a spiritual path. I just got a notification on my computer, so you probably heard it. And you know what? We're going to go with it. I am not a fancy podcaster who has an editor who edits things out, so my apologies for the random noise. Um, but we're illuminating, right? We're shining the light on things. So back to the discussion that we were having. The guru also, they light the path, but they also light us up from the inside. They light us up enough so that we can see the deeper qualities within us that we already have. So truly, it is not about worshiping that person because that person is not, it's not about them, at least to any guru, again, who's rooted in authentic spirituality, them shining their light and being that dispeller of darkness. It's not about them. It's about illuminating what is already within us as we walk our path. And walking that kind of spiritual path for me has changed my life. Studying authentic yoga, studying in a lineage and a guru tradition has changed my life. And so I pour love and devotion all over my guru. I just pour out love for my ma because I want to. Not because I have to, not because I've been indoctrinated and I've been made to feel like I have to worship this person, but because my guru inspires so much love in me that I cannot help but pour it out. And you know, honestly, when I first got to Kashi Atlanta, I didn't know what to make of it. So I never met Majaya. Ma is the, the guru of the Kashi Atlanta tradition. She also started an ashram, a spiritual center in Florida called Kashi Ashram. And that is sort of the, that's the main ashram. And then Kashi Atlanta, where I study, is sort of a, an offshoot of Kashi Ashram. So I got to Kashi Ashram in 2016. Ma died in 2012. So I never actually met her while she was in her body. And when I first got to Kashi, I was doing my teacher training and I started to hear all this stuff about this woman who's a guru. And like many people, I was like, oof, I don't know about this. This is kind of weird. I don't know if this is a cult. Um, you know, and anyone at Kashi who's listening, forgive me for using the word cult. Kashi is not a cult. <laughs> but I will tell you um, that I had that feeling. I was like, ooh, what if it is? What if this is something sinister? This is weird. 
But then I got to hear stories about Ma from her students that did know her while she was alive. They studied directly with the guru while she was in her body. They told me stories about her and I got to know Ma through her students. And the pure, just almost weightless love that she inspires in those people pretty much told me everything I needed to know. At first, I didn't know what to think. And then I was like, okay, anyone who inspires this kind of just pure, sweet love is not a sinister person. This cannot be dark. This is light, right? She is the light. She's the dispeller of darkness. So I got to know Ma through her students and I fell in love. So again, I never met her in the flesh, but I've heard all these amazing stories and I've seen all these amazing photos of her because she was beautiful. Ma Jaya was uh, a Brooklyn Jewish housewife. She had, a, she had kids and a husband and then she had a really a profound spiritual awakening through the practice of pranayama, breath work, and that led her on a yogic path that led her to her own spiritual teachers and then she became a teacher herself. And I've heard her speak, though I've never met her, and she has the most incredible Brooklyn accent. And the way I think of Ma is that if Fran Drescher's character from The Nanny was your guru, that's Ma. Because she has the amazing accent, she has the big, thick black hair, she's gorgeous, she wears the bangles, she has amazing style, she's this fabulous woman. And she's the guru. And I began to hear about her, see pictures of her, hear her speak in recordings. And I absolutely fell in love with her. And I feel her love in my life, both by seeing the love that other people who met her have for her and as a real embodied, tangible presence. I feel her. I feel her love. And that is sort of the, one of the miracles, if you will, of the guru is that that light and that love is so not about them. It comes from such a pure kind of divine, all-encompassing source. It comes from the universe or from pure love or whatever you want to say that it goes beyond their body. So they could be out of their body. They could have passed on. And yet we still feel their love. And I feel that with Ma. I feel her guiding me. Um, I hear her in my head sometimes, and that might make me sound crazy. But what I know is that it's not the voice of some outside force that I have to worship. It's actually the voice of my own soul. And sometimes it comes out as Ma's voice because she is the dispeller of darkness. She's the guru, and she brings me to my own soul. And so I am devoted to her because she inspires that in me. She doesn't ask anything from me. This woman who passed away six years, no, four years before I even made it to Kashi Atlanta, she's not asking me to do anything. She's not making me do anything. She's not asking anything of me or expecting anything of me. I have full, you know, capacity to choose her. And I did, right? I, I'm not... You know, I haven't given myself over to something dark or, or sinister like I talked about. No one is asking this of me. It is love in my heart. Because Ma, as so many of her students would tell you, is a living embodiment of love. She was and is a living embodiment of love. She loved people fiercely, wildly, massively, and unconditionally. And she embodies 
so much love that I can feel it in my being, feel it tangibly. I can feel it now just talking about it. I can feel it in my heart, even never having met her in my life, even not being in the room with her at all. I can feel her love. So she embodies so much love that I can't help but reciprocate that love. I cannot help but pour the love back out. And that is the essence of devotion. And in the tradition of yoga, the word for devotion is bhakti. Bhakti yoga is the the yoga of love and devotion. It is the yoga practice of getting our hearts so full of love that there's nowhere else for that love to go but out, just pouring it out into the world. And that's one of the gifts of having a guru or a spiritual teacher or some sacred form that you love is that those things fill our hearts up so much that it can't help but pour out. And that's what Ma does for me. So I don't feel like I have to worship her. The guru-student relationship, again, it's not about worship. It is about devotion. And so I want to invite you, as we come toward the portion of this podcast where we get ready to do some practice, I want to invite you to think about what inspires that kind of just pouring love and devotion in you. Because the great thing about it is Ma inspires that in me. She doesn't have to in you. In fact, at that ashram in Florida, her her spiritual center in Sebastian, Florida, Kashi Ashram, where she lived and taught for almost 40 years, there are so many different statues and altars to different forms of the divine, different deities from so many spiritual traditions because hers is an interfaith ashram and yoga is an interfaith practice, meaning we do not have to ascribe to any specific religion or faith to practice it. It can only enhance the love and faith that's already in our own hearts. So maybe your form of the sacred is Ma or your spiritual teacher. Maybe it's Jesus Christ. Maybe it's the Buddha, Allah. Maybe it's Shiva or Kali. I'm naming mostly Judeo-Christian and Hindu uh, forms of the sacred because those are the ones I'm most familiar with. But I am so aware that there is a just a vast just breadth of spiritual traditions. And so I honor and bow to every single one of them. And whatever deity or sacred form that you love is welcome here in this space. And I bow to that. And it doesn't even have to be a religion or a deity. Maybe you love the night sky or the ocean, or maybe you love love. Maybe love is your religion. That is the beauty of interfaith or even no faith, quote unquote, practice is that whatever inspires that kind of devotion in our hearts is good. So I want to invite you to take a moment to think about what it is that is your beloved, your sacred form that inspires that deep love within you and bring it to mind and bring it to heart. Just notice how you feel for a moment. And now we're getting ready to go into practice using that kind of devotion. Because in the tradition of yoga, when you honor someone or something, you have a fire. You have a big old sacred bonfire. It's called a fire puja. And the fire both burns away anything that makes you feel stuck and like you can't pour out that love. 
and it ignites within you that feeling of deep love. And this weekend, to celebrate Ma's birthday at Kashi Ashram, they'll have a huge fire in honor of her. So we're going to ignite that same fire in our hearts, because you don't have to go to an ashram to ignite the sacred fire of your heart. So there is a spiritual practice that we can do to ignite the fire. So, this is the moment where we'll go into embodied practice. If you are doing something, if you're driving, showering, cooking, this might be a good time to pause and come back later so you can sit and do the practice. If you're coming along, I invite you into a comfortable seat. As always, that is any seat, as long as your spine is upright so that hopefully you stay awake. If you fall asleep, no judgment, but usually we wanna stay awake and your spine is long because it is the center line of energy in your body and we just want everything moving freely. So find any seat, whether it's on the floor, in a chair, on the couch, in your bed, where your spine is long and upright. Get a little forward curve in your lower back and then draw your shoulders backward and down. So the center of your chest lifts, excuse me, the center of your chest lifts and you start this practice with the posture of an open heart. Now, before we go any further, I'll talk to you a little bit about what we're doing here because this is a a practice of igniting that sacred fire in our hearts. And typically when there is a sacred fire in the yoga tradition, it is in what's called a duni. And a duni is the Sanskrit word for a fire pit. And this is a square fire pit. It's usually decorated beautifully with all different colors of sand and symbols and art. And it holds that sacred fire. It's another container for devotion. And we are going to draw and really feel and acknowledge that same fire pit in our own hearts. So this is a layered practice. My teachers, Ma included, love to layer practices on top of each other. And so this practice involves both a four-part breath, a movement with the hand, and a silent mantra, a sacred sound that you'll say in your mind. So I'll try to explain each piece and then we'll go into it together. So the four-part breath is sort of the, mo- the foundation of the whole practice. And it's, it's just what it sounds like. We'll inhale in four sections and then exhale in four sections. And so it sounds like... So it's in, 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 out, 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 out. And that's the breath. Four in, four out. And if that feels uncomfortable, just take long inhales and exhales and do the other two parts. It's okay. Then the hand motion involves drawing a square around the center of the chest, the spiritual heart, to represent that square fire pit, the duni, the fire pit of the heart. So imagine that your heart has four corners, four points on either side of your heart, top to bottom. And bring your right fingertips You can close your fingertips and just bring them to the bottom right corner of your heart. And then as you inhale once, you'll pull your hand up vertically to the top right. As you inhale next, you'll go over horizontally to the top left. As you inhale a third time, you'll go down to the bottom left. And then as you inhale the last time, you'll go over to the right again. So you're making a square with every inhale. So it's inhale up, Inhale over, inhale down, inhale over, same thing, exhale up, exhale over, 
exhale down, exhale over. So you're drawing a square around your chest, making a square shape with each of those four breaths on the inhale and the exhale. Finally, there's a silent mantra. It's just one you say in your head. And the mantra is anahata. That is the name, the Sanskrit word for the heart chakra, the, the energy center at the center of the chest, the spiritual heart. It's anahata. And I have been taught that just that word, the name of the heart, is a heart opening mantra. And so you say each syllable in your mind, because there's four syllables, you say each syllable with each part of the breath. So it's like a, na, ha, ta, a, na, ha, ta. And you're saying that in your head as you inhale, 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 exhale, exhale exhale, exhale, all while you're using your hand to draw the four parts of the fire pit around your heart. So it's a lot of layers. It might feel weird. It might take you several times to get into the rhythm. That's okay. You can come back to this and practice it as many times as you need to. So I'll invite you to close your eyes or gaze softly at the floor, however you turn toward yourself again. Bringing to mind whatever sacred form, whether it's your guru, your teacher, a deity, whatever it is that inspires that blazing heart opening devotion in you, bringing it to mind as you start to notice just the natural pace of your breath for now. Start to notice the sensations, the, the heart awareness, whatever is already here, just using it as fuel whatever feelings and even thoughts that you have, using it as fuel for this fire that we will ignite. And then we'll go into the practice. Close your four right fingertips, bring them to that bottom right corner of your heart, and then we inhale up, over, down, over, exhale up, over, down, over. Keep going, drawing your square around your heart, drawing that fire pit, that duny as you breathe, and then we'll add the silent mantra with the four parts of the breath. Ah, na, ha, ta. Ah, na, ha, ta, in your mind. Ah, na, ha, ta, ah, na, ha, ta, keep going. Ah, na, ha, ta, ah, na, ha, 
chce. I'm just saying it out loud to remind you, but you say it inside your mind. Three more. Two more. Last time. And as you let that exhale go, just return to the natural pace of your breath. Rest your hands wherever or however it feels good. Maybe holding your heart in your lap, whatever you need. And then just drop your awareness right into the center of your chest, just a few inches over from your physical heart to that spiritual heart, Anahata, heart chakra. You might bring your awareness there by turning your closed eyes down as if you could gaze into your heart or you could imagine your breath moving in and out your heart. Or you can imagine light or even start to see those dancing flames of the fire in the center of your chest. Or just use the sensation, but come to your heart, please. And before I give you any more guidance or information, just meet yourself. Use your own awareness to notice exactly how you feel when you light the fire of devotion in your own heart. I'm so curious how the fire of devotion feels in your heart. So take a moment to notice. And perhaps there is a density in the center of your chest, not heavy or dark, but just a weightiness to the deep awareness of your heart that you have ignited by lighting up your own fire. Maybe you feel a sense of warmth or a glow that starts in the center of your chest and radiates throughout your body and your being. Know that that same radiance can then be offered to the people, to the world, to the relationships around you. And that's the point of devotion. It's meant to be shared. Right now, just sharing it with every cell in your body, on every breath, filling with the light of devotion, even if it's simply devotion to the present moment. That is powerful devotion. And now I will invite you to use your creative imagination to see those flames dancing in the center of your chest from that four-cornered heart, that fire pit of the heart that you created, decorated, and now the fire blazes. You see it and you feel it. 
And like putting dry leaves in a fire, you offer anything that keeps you feeling separate from love, devotion, well-being, whatever it is, you put it in the fire to let it burn. And then you ask for whatever you want more of so that you can love more, be more devoted, serve more, whatever it is. You ask the fire to ignite more of that in you. And you give all of those offerings and requests up to that sacred being, whether it's your guru or simply the stars in the sky. You offer it up. Knowing that that sacred presence knows you are held, taken care of. The sacred that holds you knows what you need. All you have to do is light the fire and make the offering. And as Majaya Sati Bhagavati would say, it is on its way. Offering it up with every breath. On your next inhale, please imagine the breath coming straight in through that center of your chest. Exhale powerfully, imagining sending that heart glow just out in all directions from your heart. Sending love and devotion out. Let's do that twice more. Inhaling into the center of your chest. Exhale, send it out in all directions. One more. Biggest exhale, blaze it out. And you can pause this podcast and just stay in heart awareness and heart breath as long as you want. But if you're ready to come out now, just start to blink your eyes open. Come back into the room around you. But as I shared a little last podcast, I don't really believe you come out of the meditation. Maybe the formal guidance stops, but I hope... And I believe that you still have the capacity to feel that glow of devotion and that power of your ignited heart embodied, physically feeling the sensations in your body, even after the meditation is over. Maybe even an open eye meditation, just feeling the after effects and imagining them saturating the room around you with that bhakti, with that devotion. And this is how we bring the internal devotion out into a world that needs more devoted hearts. I offer all of this, all that I've shared, all that I've talked about, all the practices and teachings at the feet of my Ma Jaya Sati Bhagavati, the guru of my yoga lineage, the light who shines awareness on my path so I can see my way forward and see my way within Happy birthday, Ma. I love you. And to you who are listening and have joined me in this space of devotion for this week's podcast, I love you too. 
I'm so excited, as you could probably tell from the animated way I have spoken a few times in this podcast, I'm so excited to share devotion with you because devotion is made to be shared, like I said. So I'm so curious to know how that devotion comes up for you, how you feel and live your devotion. So in this podcast in particular, I'm going to highly encourage you to reach out to me after you listen. You can find me at Lara Tara on Instagram. Send me a DM, tag me in a post, whatever, and tell me what your devotion is like. I am so curious about who you are when your heart is ignited with the fire of awareness. Because man... (laughs) That's kind of what we're here for, or at least that's what I'm here for, is to keep my heart lit with the fire of awareness so I have enough strength and love to give myself and give the world. So thank you so much for joining me in the practice of lighting up from within so that we can blaze out into the world. Now we go and do it. (laughs) Blaze it out. Blaze the love out. I mean, (laughs) I love you. I'm grateful for you. And I'll see you next time. Thank you for joining me for this awareness offering and for going into embodied practice with me. You can find me on social media at Laura Tara, L-A-U-R-A-T-A-R-A, on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. My intro and outro music was created by none other than my very own brother, Oxella Sun, O-X-E-L-A-S-U-N, whom you can also find on Instagram.